Building customer loyalty isn't an easy task, nor is it an exact science. These days, it feels like we're drowning in data, but there are still lots of blind spots when it comes to understanding consumers. Consequently, it can be hard to pinpoint what your shoppers want in order to retain their custom. Do you set up a loyalty program? Do you go all out on shopper experience? Do you start posting relentlessly on social media? Any number and combination of factors could mean the difference between a customer abandoning their cart or walking out of your store or becoming an advocate for your brand. Adian's latest consumer research showed that 73% of shoppers will continue to support the brands they relied on during the pandemic. So now is a crucial time to make the right impression. But the key to finding your unique strategy, as we'll find out today, is knowing what your customers want. The idea of consumer trade-offs is something that's very strong over here. Normally our trade-off is, um, should I buy the product in my favorite color or should I buy the one that's cheaper? But another trade-off is, uh, should I go to that store, the restaurant and potentially get killed <laughs> or should I not? This is Retail Reawakened the show that explores how retail and hospitality businesses can rise again in the aftermath of the pandemic. I'm your host, Colin Neal, Head of Commercial at Adian UK. Adian is a global payments provider for retailers like Hunter, Superdry and Fortnum and & Mason, and food and beverage businesses like Leon, Joe & The Juice and Hakkasan. Before working at Adian, I spent 30 years in the retail industry, including working as Retail Operations Director at Burberry. In this episode, Lasting Loyalties, we'll be exploring the mindset of consumers to find out what inspires customer loyalty. We'll investigate how their priorities and non-negotiables changed over the course of the pandemic and look to the future and ask what values and services they'll demand in return for their commitment to you. To understand how to foster loyalty, you first need to understand the mindset of your customers. To kick us off, Tony Longhurst, former director of IT at Fortnum & Mason, tells us about the early days of the pandemic to give us a retailer's perspective on how consumer behaviour adapted and shifted in response to nationwide high street closures. Probably over a number of maybe two, maybe three months, it transitioned to, to purely online as everything started to slow down and then close down. As soon as people were, weren't able to get their favourite products by walking through the door, they transition quite quickly to online. It brought with it a large number of new Fortnum's customers who hadn't experienced the brand before. So that was quite a rapid change, but it brought with it new customers and new opportunities. And this story of online shopping adoption isn't unique to Fortnum and Mason customers. Adian's research revealed that 25% of shoppers who had previously not purchased online migrated to e-commerce channels during the pandemic. So, even among the chaos of the closure, there was an opportunity for brands to increase their customer base. But what was the psychology behind this shift? And more importantly, why, as Tony said, did we start making more indulgent purchases and begin trying new things? Consumer psychologist Kate Nightingale details how the mindset of shoppers changed over the lockdowns and explains the psychological phenomena behind purchasing decisions during times of uncertainty. 
So it definitely started with impulsivity and that stemmed obviously from fear, anxiety and uncertainty, which were driven by pure existential threat, which unfortunately, as majority of existential threats, they are very temporary and uh, this one wasn't. And we were reminded of it on average probably like 100 times a day. So obviously that impulsivity, which we saw in, in a lot of kind of overspending or, um, you know, collecting all the toilet papers and everything else. That was a normal reaction. It is one of the very typical reactions that we as human beings have to being reminded of our mortality. People didn't just become purely self-indulgent beings ordering takeaways and gadgets with abandon. Another societal shift was occurring. Communities were coming together. Neighborhoods clapped for the NHS. Groups arranged volunteer food deliveries for the vulnerable. And enthusiasm for shopping and supporting local businesses grew. Adian's research found that 59% of UK consumers shop local to support local businesses. Once we kind of were almost like boozed out and mediated out and everything else that was happening, that's when another sort of reaction to our sense of mortality uh, kicked in, which is being pro-social. And this is when we started seeing the oneness aspect, right? The volunteering, that community element that was popping out, that need to help and to support others started coming across. And then once we did a little bit of that, such as we shopped locally and we supported a sustainable brand and we maybe gave to charity and maybe volunteered, that's when we were like, oh, we feel so good about ourselves. Let's overindulge again. And it's kind of, that was basically the whole process over a year or so ago that we had. And the intensity of those waves started diminishing slowly. The more people kind of got used to navigating and find their own you know, ways of controlling that situation. But nevertheless, you know, as soon as there was another announcement from government that scared us more, that's when we sort of picked up that intensity of those waves as well. These patterns of behaviour came in waves as restrictions eased and intensified. And as national and local lockdowns came and went, people's fundamental emotional needs were restricted along with them. One of the most important was the need for belonging, which prompted people to interact with their local areas and shops as much as digitally, legally and physically possible. Within our lives, we have those bubbles. We have environments, we have people, we have brands, we have countries and other things, places we like to travel. They are part of our bubble that represents our identity, that creates kind of our general lifestyle that is suitable to our own psychological makeup. And the trouble is that we were basically forbidden to go to a lot of places and interact with a lot of you know, brands and people that are normally within our bubble. So what we needed to do is to figure out, okay, so this is the forced bubble that we have, how I can express my identity over that smaller bubble that I have and perhaps create some other forms, you know, of interaction or some other kind of bubbles across like obviously online and virtual kind of conversations. Now, that is supported by the basic need of belongingness, right? So obviously heavily undersupplied before the pandemic, even worse during the pandemic and all the lockdowns that need for intimacy and simple kind of physical touch intimacy or physical closeness is sometimes good enough to pretend to ourselves that we're not lonely. So you bump into someone on a street and it's kind of a little bit okay for a little bit because you don't feel so bad. Whereas obviously our physical contact is 
basically we naturally sort of far away from people. So that physical element of belongingness does not exist. The psychological and emotional element of belongingness was also not existent for considerable amount of times because people were afraid of each other, even close friends and family. And as well as fulfilling the need for belonging, Shopping Local offered consumers a feeling of intimacy and connection that arguably many had been missing even before the pandemic. So obviously starting to kind of play within that local realms and starting to discover certain things that you didn't discover about your neighborhood before, uh, starting to, you know, maybe bump into the same people in a park, those little things, or starting to talk to your butcher, those little things were stemming from a, such an in-depth need for intimacy and for being part of something that that motivation together with the richness of those interactions and you know and the lack of any other interactions that seemed better basically made us engage and made us value those smaller bubbles even more so needless to say that's not going to go anywhere and especially that it was already growing before the pandemic because we were we needed more meaningful interactions and those interactions that we had before the pandemic were starting to be less and less meaningful, especially those that were going happening through uh, any kind of virtual channels. So obviously, all of that makes us more engaged, more ingrained in those local communities. And that commitment, therefore, that we give to those local communities is something that also keeps us in that strong relationship with them. But how have consumers felt about shopping local? Will their lockdown loyalty remain post-pandemic? The smaller shops have become more adaptable. A lot of them have looked at other ways of providing their customers. This is the first time we've been out in over a year. So teenage daughters, well, adult babies, as I prefer to call them, they're like on fire with having saved a small amount of money in the lockdown, now spreading it and supporting local shopping. Even though there were a few silver linings to be had from the pandemic and various lockdowns, the negative impacts were almost overwhelming. After months of daily reporting on death tolls and infection rates, these fears will not leave us overnight. And that's something that Kate believes will make consumers think twice before heading back to their favourite shops. It's not gonna go straight away. When I'm looking at kind of how consumers are behaving now and predicting what is gonna happen, the idea of trade-offs, uh, consumer trade-offs, is something that's very strong over here. So normally our trade-off is, um, should I buy the product in my favorite color or should I buy the one that's cheaper? And that's okay. But another trade-off is, uh, should I go to that store, the restaurant, and potentially get killed uh, or should I not? So what is kind of important? What do we put a higher value on? But it's not really kind of asking ourselves what that customer really actually wants to do or how they want to sort of continue behaving. But asking uh, ourselves as brand leaders to basically create conditions where there is more value on a customer returning to that store or going to their website and buying something than a risk of potential health threats. Uh, now, there's obviously lots of different tacti tactics that we can use for that, but it's about kind of diminishing the perception of risk and increasing the perception of value uh, of the more positive trade-off, right? 
Looking beyond the pandemic then, safety seems to be the name of the game if retailers want to strengthen their customer base and entice shoppers back. Our report also confirmed safety will be one of the biggest worries for shoppers. 57% of consumers said they'd now be concerned about being in close proximity to strangers. This means that businesses will need to do more than just keep a bottle of hand sanitizer by the doors to get their customers feeling comfortable again. Another thing is to ensure that we provide holistic understanding of sense of safety and we sort of adapt to it. So the trouble with, you know, with current understanding of sense of safety um, amongst consumer brands is thinking that we need to put gels on and say that we're cleaning our products daily or whatever. That's not good enough because our sense of safety is directly related to our sense of control and directly related to our overall well-being. Therefore, it has huge psychological and emotional components to it. And obviously, increasing sense of control is one of those things that we can do to enhance sense of safety. Intimacy and building trust is another thing that we can do. But we can even do smaller things like change the lighting for slightly warmer one, especially in a physical stores or even in our imagery. Slightly kind of focus on our warmer colors of the brand, you know, to make sure that. Change the language that we are using to be more conversational and slightly more emotive and empathetic. All of those things are naturally enhancing our sense of safety. With an idea of how shoppers' attitudes and priorities have changed over the past year, we thought we'd take a closer look at one consumer market in particular. Chinese shoppers have always represented a huge opportunity for UK businesses, and this goes far beyond tourism. We spoke with Domenica Delietto, CEO of Emerging Communications and expert in Chinese consumers, to find out about the growing market of Chinese consumers living in the UK and the importance of understanding their specific needs. Before COVID hit in the UK, so let's just look at 2019, Typically, you could break down the Chinese um, market into three. The first market being inbound Chinese tourism, which predominantly in 2019 is largely made up of independent travellers from China coming over to the UK to come on holiday. Also, the other two segments of note, one of which is very important and still is, is Chinese students. And the third segment, which a lot of brands don't think about, is those that are now graduated, have been living here a while, they might be have families here. So there's three, there's the domicile Chinese market, the student market and the tourism market. In terms of sheer size, tourism, absolutely huge. Huge in terms of not just scale of numbers, uh, but also the amount of expenditure. So don't forget that one comes over here, you've got hospitality, so you've got the, the travel industry, hotels, restaurants, bars, but it tended to be quite concentrated around the summer and around Chinese New Year. Whereas the second most important segment has actually grown since COVID. So that is the Chinese student market. We have seen the biggest influx of Chinese students. So it's up 24% from um, previous years. And I would say this to anybody out there, 
this is a massive opportunity. It's a, it's a bigger opportunity than the tourism market. They're going to be here longer. <laughs> They're going to become a brand advocate. They're going to tell their friends and families about the brand. They're going to spend more money. Um, so the Chinese student market is now going to be probably the biggest opportunity for brands in 2021-2022. And then, of course, you've got domicile Chinese working and living in the UK. With a growing number of tourists just waiting to come to the UK, and with many more already resident in the country, Chinese consumers are a captive audience for British businesses. But brands can't just sit back and wait for them to appear. Like any consumer group, they need to be engaged with authentic messages. And critically, they need to be assured that their shopping and dining experiences will be safe. So what should retailers, travel hospitality, destinations do? The first thing is not stay quiet. And in all honesty, I'm quite amazed at how many brands have just gone completely quiet and gone, there's no tourism, we won't do anything in China. Brands don't really seem to understand that they're still researching. They're deciding where they're going to go. They've already, they've had so much time at home. And China is back to normal. It's been back to normal since June. They're just waiting to be allowed to to go to Europe, um, to go on holiday. So the first thing is to make sure you're engaging with them and telling them why they should come and visit your destination or your hotel or why they should shop with you or whatever is your brand category. Secondly, make it authentic. So many brands are just thinking, I'm going to instruct a local agency in China and I'm going to spend money on a key opinion leader without it being relevant or without creating the content, thinking about what you're saying. And it just sounds contrived. So authentic conversations with your customers in China. And the third thing is know who those customers are. Some of the most successful campaigns I've seen recently domestically in China, and we need to mirror that here, have really focused on how safe they are. So in other words, what COVID precautions they've got in place. That could be airports, that could be hotels, that could be retail. What they're doing to keep their customers safe. What they'll do if, God forbid, you do get COVID and you need to be looked after the pastoral care side of it. That is absolutely almost like a hygiene factor that brands need to be doing forget about going over the top with the brand experience that's an absolute must have both now and when you're engaging with either students who are already here or, or with tourists when they come over here and so that sense of safety is going to be critical and that will be after vaccines as well that it's not going to go away working out what to say is only part of the solution though communicating it to the right people is the real challenge And unless you have Disney-like marketing budgets at your disposal, running international TV ads will be impossible. But retailers don't need to rely on such massive and costly marketing campaigns anymore because for Chinese consumers, social media is king. Social media, as you well know, is critical for any decision-making in China, especially when it comes to travel decisions. They have equivalents of TripAdvisor. They have equivalents of of Facebook. They have equivalents of of Insta. So using social media very much to have a dialogue, to create stories around how your brand is dealing with COVID-19 over here in the UK and how they can feel safe as customers. And it depends on your brand. If you're a very elevated luxury brand, you're not going to use a cartoon-esque type creative treatment. 
So we've done that with some luxury brands, such as hotel brands, via video, actually showing exactly what they've got in place. And if you are sort of mid-market and you're aimed at, aimed at the student market, you can be a bit more comical about it. But essentially what you're saying is you're going to be safe when you're with us and we're going to look after you. But to wait until the borders open is the biggest mistake brands can make. When we're allowed to accept visitors here, it's going to be a very, very quick shift. We're then going to see a lot of tourism come here from having had none for 14, 18 months. Those brands that have been engaging and using it as an opportunity to build up relationships with these potential customers are the ones that are going to win. And those that have gone quiet, it's almost too late to start catching up ground now. Getting your brand message to the right people is also something that Thomas Evald, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at Joe and the Juice values. And for him, that means treating consumers not as one entity, but a group of individuals to make sure that your communications are engaged with, not ignored. I think in general, you know, people have different demands. They have different ways of using your brand and they have different requests. And what we see with generic marketing is a lot of people feel that they're not getting the right messages. So I think building segments and really treating each customer type different is super, super important. And, and it makes people want to listen to what you're saying to them because it's relevant for them. So I think the world is really moving away from the very generic to the customized. Even if it's offers, but it could also just be information that you want to read about the brand and, and so on. Joe and the Juice doesn't just rely on the usual social media channels to communicate its brand messages to its customers. Using the Joe app, customers can pre-order food, pay in-app, and even collect loyalty rewards. But as well as this, the team have developed a dynamic customer journey that presents users with relevant marketing information based on how frequently they use the app. The result? High app adoption and lots of loyal customers. So I think in, in general, we're extremely you know, proud of to see what the loyalty app has created. And what we are so happy about is both the data is showing it. So the frequency is going up, people are coming more. But also when we ask, we just did a survey again through the app where we can now talk to our customers. And then we see the hype where people are writing us, oh, I made it to yellow gold, or I made it to pink diamond. So it's really becoming a, an emotional thing to have these tier levels. So I believe both from a data point, but also from an emotional brand point, we really have a strong position now in, in the brand. As we've already found out from Kate and Domenica, keeping consumers happy post-pandemic is going to rely on making people feel safe. And this is something Joe and the Juice focused on heavily in the early days of lockdown. We took the decision that, that we wanted to keep open because we believed that it was a, an important thing to serve healthy food to people, especially also in a pandemic. And and that we were actually essential to people to have a way of, of, of getting to, to eat. So we kept open, but the requirements was basically you could not walk into the store and order. So we had to close down the point of sale in the store and you can only order on the app. And what we did was we put a QR code in the, in the window. So everybody knew, you know, saying only order with app, keep distance and so on. So people were lining out outside. They were downloading the, the app through the QR code. When they were then ordering, the personnel were doing the, the orders in the store, and then they were leaving the orders by a table in the window. And then the customers could grab the food when the employee was, was walked away. So you never had any integration between the customers and the juicers. We then worked further on that to build what we call the app pickup, which is basically a wall in the stores. So if you order on the app pre-order, 
we will put the products on this wall and then you're not interfering with the people ordering in the store or sitting in the store. So you can go in, grab your stuff, go out without communicating with people, but also no interaction with people. So if you're afraid of COVID or you're just busy or whatever, you can basically come in without any, any physical interaction with our staff. Going the extra mile to make customers feel safe is meeting a real need. Adian's research found that 49% of UK consumers want brands to reduce person-to-person contact. This also encompasses payments, with 59% concerned about the hygiene of payment terminals and preferring contactless payment methods. So, you're communicating the right messaging to the right consumers and making them feel safe. But what can you do to ensure these customers stay with you for the long term? A great way of nurturing loyalty is by offering loyalty rewards. Just make sure it's clear what you're offering. I have got, well, Morrison's, Tesco's, TK Maxx. It's just a bonus at the end of it for spending money with them. You don't often know what you actually get with a loyalty programme. I have a few, like, and sometimes I'm just like, oh, what is this card even for? Because <laughs> they don't really clearly tell you, you just sort of get signed up for one at the checkout and use it occasionally. The main thing, I'd want some discount. I'm just not very good with them. I never have them in my wallet when I need them. But easy to lose, plastic loyalty cards or stamp cards are a thing of the past. Modern consumers want hassle-free loyalty points, and that is where payment link loyalty comes in. But what is payment link loyalty? Here to tell us more is Head of Retail and Hospitality Solutions at Adian, Jan Peter Lips. The main purpose of a loyalty program for a retailer is to identify transactions. It's basically asking customers to identify themselves with a a plastic loyalty card. Maybe they ask for your email address. Uh, Maybe they ask you to scan a QR code. But straight after that, you're also asked to make a payment. And that's also an act of identification. So really, we are being asked to identify ourselves twice. Now, what payment link loyalty is to combine those things and to make sure that people's identity or loyalty ID is actually combined with their payment credentials. And it basically means you turn a payment card into a loyalty card. So it's much easier, much quicker. It's easier for the consumer because they don't need to jump through hoops. It's easier for staff because they don't have to spend time on asking people email addresses or to show a card. And for the merchant, for the retailer, it means they get more data. In fact, 63% of consumers would be more likely to choose retailers that use this loyalty technique, as David Wynn, CEO of Digital Transformation Experts, Red Badger, explains. You then get um, other experiences that just feel a bit broken. So plenty of supermarkets where you want to go in and use your loyalty program and you you go to the self-checkout pay with your mobile phone using contactless and then you still have to pull out a card and scan a barcode to get your loyalty points your free cup of coffee or whatever feels like a very broken experience uh, and that's very unfortunate i think other brands now are just starting to uh, put loyalty into the digital wallet as well so we've done a lot of work with nando's building out their digital loyalty card which operates in your apple wallet or, or your mobile wallet in exactly the same way that your payment card does so that's a great example where you've got one device and you can be paying and getting your loyalty card in one place and all of your your chili points in that case getting your push notifications telling you when your next free free meal is coming is a great seamless experience and as well as making it easier to sign up for loyalty schemes offering payment link loyalty programs makes the omnichannel experience easier too 
by automatically adding on points, whether you shop in-store or online. So there's actually like a whole, you know, whole range of seamless experiences now, whether you're ordering at the table in the restaurant via your mobile phone or at home via your mobile phone or coming in to collect and paying and collecting your chili points via mobile phone as well is all one seamless customer experience. And I think that's what it's that's what digital is about, is giving you that brand experience across all of your touch points, regardless of whether that's in-store physically, online with your mobile, or a combination of those two things, as is increasingly the case. Payment Link Loyalty relies on consumers sharing data with their favourite retailers, which many might think would dissuade them. But according to Jan Peter, that's simply not the case. Consumers don't mind sharing data. But what's really important when data is used in a personal way is that it's transparent. So people need to understand what's going on. So for example, uh, sending them a notification when they've been ident- identified with a loyalty transaction with their payment card, or just being very clear in, in how the program works. You need to give customers control, which means getting them to opt in, but also give them the opportunity to opt out. And there needs to be a benefit. So there needs to be something in it for the, for the consumer. That's the best way of dealing with, uh, with data. Consumers might be happy to share data, but as we've heard, safety is going to be a priority moving forward. However, Jan Peter says, payment link loyalty is secure and safe. It's really important never to store actual payment data. So if you look at your credit card or your debit card, the long number on there, that is super, super sensitive. And if companies were to store that and somebody steals it, they can use it to make a payment. And this is why payments data has historically not really been used for insights, because you don't want to put it as an identifier in a marketing system. But now we have tokens. And tokens are basically a long number that's uniquely linked to a payment card or somebody's payment account, but you can't use it for a payment. So if somebody steals it, it's absolutely worthless. And that's the best way of protecting your data. So payment link loyalty is easy, quick, safe, and most importantly, it's wanted by consumers. And as Kurain Muhlenberg, data expert at Adyen tells us, making your loyalty scheme as seamless as possible is another way to boost your brand's reputation. Payment linked loyalty is, I think, something that uh, customers have expressed that they want for uh, quite a while now, and is becoming more and more of an attainable goal for a larger population of merchants. If you make the loyalty an integral part of just making a regular payment, your recognition goes up. Your shoppers basically use that loyalty program more. So they're also reaping the benefits of the loyalty program, right? So the more they use it, the more they can reap the benefits of it, the better it is for you as well, because you're maintaining your loyal shopper base and rewarding them. Making loyalty programs run effortlessly alongside ordinary transactions makes the system more attractive to consumers. They'll be able to save money and time without the need to rummage for loyalty cards at the cash desk. Seamless loyalty integration alongside practical efforts to ensure customer safety both physically and financially will be crucial. But what's important to remember is that these measures shouldn't be temporary. 
Over 62% of shoppers have said that their expectations of retailers have increased now they've seen how brands were able to adapt during the past lockdown. So simply offering loyalty cards and hand sanitising solutions won't be enough to encourage new customers or keep current customers loyal. As the country reopens, businesses will need to think beyond loyalty schemes and safety measures. They'll need to consider the entire customer experience end-to-end. There's no rocket science to this. It's a genuine understanding of your customer and how they want to experience you and your products. So getting a sense of the market and realising that all of your customers are going to be different. There are kind of typical customers, but the diversity is, is enormous. That's next time on Retail Reawakened. You've been listening to Retail Reawakened. I'm your host, Colin Neal. If you want to find out more about Payment Link Loyalty, head over to adian.com forward slash UK Retail Report and download Adian's latest research report. A big thanks to Kate Nightingale, Tony Longhurst, Thomas Evald, Domenica Delietto, Q. Ryan Muhlenberg, David Wynne and Jan Peter Lips for their contributions today. And join us next time as we explore the importance of customer experience. We'll examine why retailers need to focus on their online user journeys as well as their in-store customer experience. And we'll look to the future to see what the high street of tomorrow could look like. I'll see you then.